You're a legend in the college basketball world. A Hall of Fame coach who has achieved everything that can be achieved. But inside, the little boy in you still remembers the first time you ever saw a baseball game and the player you idolized from the very first day you saw him. He won the American League batting title, led in runs, batted in, and walloped a total of 52 home runs. Magley gets one strike on Mantle, and there it goes over the right field fence across Bedford Avenue and deep into a parking lot. And the fact that you got to meet him one time through total chance when you were a little bit older? Well, there's lots to talk about on this episode. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a swing and a belt. Just under 10 seconds to go, Roy Williams. That far away from bringing a national championship back to his alma mater. And as Sean May said, there's nothing he wants more than a championship for Coach Roy. I want 20 years from now, after he's won a number of them, to remember this group bringing him his first. Rebound Carolina with one second, and that is it. There is a new dean in college basketball. North Carolina takes the title. Roy Williams is one of the most successful college basketball coaches of all time. In 32 years as the head coach at Kansas and now his alma mater, North Carolina, Williams has won close to 900 games, including three national championships. He has guided his teams to nine Final Fours and is a member of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. I have been blessed with the opportunity to call many Carolina basketball games over the years. And oftentimes, the day before the game, as we watch practice at the Smith Center in Chapel Hill, Coach Williams will come over to where the ESPN crew is sitting, and we'll talk baseball for a bit. That's how I found out that he loves baseball, and that in particular... He loves the Yankees, and that his all-time favorite player is Mickey Mantle. So today, we're going to talk a little bit of baseball with one of the legends of college basketball. Coach, thanks for making some time for me today. It's not any problem, Danny. It's good to talk about baseball right now. <laughs> Things are so <laughs> tough. We, let's talk about something I can talk about with not worrying. Yeah, I hear you. Before we get into it, tell me, how are you? How are your family, your grandkids? How's everybody doing right now? Well, everybody's doing okay. Uh, Wanda's mom and dad are struggling quite a bit, but they're 96 and 89, so uh, you would expect that in this kind of environment. But uh, we're all hanging in there and uh, just trying to do our best every day, wearing a mask everywhere we go, trying to keep our distance, and and hopefully uh, seeing if we can ride this thing out and start turning the virus in a better direction. Yeah, I hope so. Sounds like everybody's living the same life right now. I want to circle back to college basketball towards the end, but... It is a baseball podcast, and I know you do love baseball. So tell me, you were born in Marion, North Carolina, grew up in Asheville, North Carolina. How does a kid from the, the hills of North Carolina become a New York Yankees fan? Well, it was crazy because I and the youngsters nowadays won't even be able to relate to part of this, but I was six or seven years old, and all of a sudden my dad brought home a television, and we hadn't had one until that point. And uh, on Saturday afternoon, they had the baseball game of the week. And uh, Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese did it for many, many years. And I don't even remember if they did the first one, but it was in 56 or 57 in that range. Uh, the first game I saw was the Yankees and Mickey Mantle hit a home run right-handed and a home, then he hit a home run left-handed. And they were talking about he was the fastest player in baseball. On a hard shot by Barra, Nelson grabbed the ball, stepped on first and Mantle with quick thinking Stopped in his track, slid underneath the tag, got back to first as McDougal scored the tying run. How about that? 
all of a sudden I was a Yankees fan and just poured through the stats from eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. I, I knew what Mantle was hitting from one day to the next and uh, just enjoyed having a chance to see him on TV. Never thought anything at all that I'd ever get to Yankee Stadium, but uh, I didn't get to Yankee Stadium to see Mickey Mantle play, but I've been there several times and uh, it is something that I truly enjoy. And I played a lot of baseball when I was a kid. In fact, played more baseball than I did basketball until about 16 or 17 years old. But uh, it's a sport that I enjoy watching our Tar Heels baseball team that has been very successful, and it's, it's a good pastime for me. So you mean if you turned on the TV on that first Saturday and the White Sox had been playing or the Tigers had been playing, uh, you think you might have been a fan of a different team, or do you think it was always fate that you know it would go to Mickey Mantle and the Yankees? I think it was fate because I would have had a tough time pronouncing Ted Klazuski's name at that time <laughs> <laughs> without this with the sleeveless shirt on. <laughs> so you said 56, 57. I mean, that's right in the heyday of Mickey Mantle's career. He comes in in 51 and by 54, 55, he's pretty much the best player in baseball. So you were, you know, a young, impressionable boy during his best years. After that first Saturday was the game of the week Saturday afternoon appointment viewing for Roy Williams. Did you make sure you watched every game you could? Well, I definitely watched it if the Yankees were on, but I watched a lot of them on Saturday afternoon because usually I was out early in the morning trying to play or do something. And uh, so it was a chance to uh, sit down and catch my breath a little bit. If it was any game, I'd watch for a couple of innings. But if it was the, the Yankees playing, I'd watch the whole game. So all I know about your baseball career, and you alluded to it, was that you played in high school. I believe you were a second baseman. I know this will come as a shock to you, but I've poured through the internet for your stats, and I can't find them from your high school days. <laughs> hey, that was 100 years ago. What are you talking about? They didn't even have stats 100 years ago. What? Well, then you can make them up and tell me you, you hit 600 in high school. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was a little less than that. Growing up, I didn't even know anything about Little League, and all of a sudden, one of my cousins was playing little league baseball and I didn't even know what that was. And, uh, so it, I played little league and I made the all-star team. I played in Babe Ruth league and I made the all-star team. I played senior Babe Ruth and I made the all-star team, but that was about it. I got here and coach Rab did talk to me about trying to be a walk on with a baseball team. But, uh, after I'd played freshman basketball, but I, I needed to go to work or I wasn't going to have enough money to stay in school. So I, I worked, uh, the old saying, is, this is true, but I worked my way through college 24 right. hours a week, every week after I stopped playing freshman basketball. But, uh, you know, I just loved it. I played every summer. I even played the summer after my freshman year in college. And basketball was my passion because it was such a much faster game and the whole thing. But our high school baseball teams were pretty doggone good. My junior year, we uh, lost in the uh, – state semifinals my senior year we lost in the state finals and I was not the best player by any means I I enjoyed playing and I enjoyed winning but uh, uh, after that uh, other than summer baseball I uh, didn't play anymore but uh, I truly enjoyed it probably had more fun in little league because I loved the activity I'd pitch one game and catch the next even in college in uh, intramural softball here at North Carolina it was fast pitch and we won the all-campus championship my graduate school year it, we couldn't get anybody to catch, so I was a 22-year-old graduate student, and I was back there with fast-pitch softball, and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed being involved. Did you ever consider going into coaching in baseball at all? Uh, yeah. In fact, my first year as a high school coach, I made one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. Uh, I'd been hired as the new basketball coach, and the principal told me I was going to have to uh, coach in the fall, and so I 
the football coach had talked to me. So I was an assistant football coach for four years. But right before school started, the principal called and said, uh, I hate to do this to you, but I need you to coach the spring sport also, but I'll give you your choice. He said, I'll let you coach baseball or golf. And I did love baseball, but everything I remembered about my high school baseball coach was the guy lining off the first, the baselines, lining off the batter's box, dragging the field, picking up the rocks. And, and I started thinking, I've never seen a golf coach mow a green, so I chose golf. <laughs> Best decision I ever made. <laughs> That's very funny. What was the first major league baseball game that you saw in person? 1961, I think it was. A couple of weekends, I worked as a bat boy at the for the Asheville Tourist, and they they were a Pittsburgh Pirates farm club, and had Willie Stargell play in, and played for the Tourist, and they were really a great uh, fun time for me, and I'd be in the bat boy, and I think that McCormick Field was even in the movie Bull Durham, and uh, several years ago, Tommy Helms had played on the Macon uh, minor league team, and eventually played in the uh, majors for the Cincinnati Reds. And I told him I was his bat boy one time, and I got a. He sent me a baseball bat when he was inducted into the North Carolina Hall of Fame. But uh, when I was a junior in high school, the Pirates stopped and uh, played an exhibition game at McCormick Field, and so that's the first time I ever saw a major league team. And I'll never forget this: that uh, Roberto Clemente hit a ground ball down the uh, right field line. It was foul, and they had put some extra bleachers in there for young kids. So I jumped out and grabbed the ball as it was bouncing down there. I made a one-handed catch and people clapped and then they came and made me give the ball back. And oh. uh, uh, the people around me, everybody was booing the guy and everything. But So I told him that I called a Roberto Clemente ground ball. Bobby hits the drive for the back in the left center field. There she is! Pull a double. A double for Roberto. That's awesome. That's too bad you didn't get a chance to keep it. If it were 2020, you'd take a selfie. You'd have it'd be on social media. We'd have evidence of all of this stuff. <laughs> That's right. And it was a good grab. I just jumped out. I was on like a third row and jumped over them. People had stepped through them or whatever and, and caught it on the hop. But uh, to answer your question, during my college years, uh, I did go to Atlanta and saw see the Braves play a couple of times. What about your first time at Yankee Stadium? Wow, it was crazy. I was working as assistant coach here. And uh, I'd gone up, and it was one of the Yankees' really bad years. Kenny Anderson was a guard at Archbishop Malloy High School in New York, and I think he was a sophomore. And I went up to uh, see him work out in the fall. And Mr. Curran was the legendary baseball and basketball coach at Malloy. He asked me what I was doing. Did I want to go to dinner? And I said, Mr. Curran, I've never seen a Yankees game. And so I left and uh, – went to see the Yankees game. Clyde King was a North Carolina basketball fan and a guy from North Carolina. And he, I'd met him during a couple of years here and he had left me a ticket. And, uh, so I ended up, uh, I was, didn't use the ticket because like I'd say the Yankees were not very good that year. And, uh, it was the last game of the regular season. I went out in right field and sat there for a couple of innings and went down the left field line <laughs> and went up you know, so I moved around about four or five, seats and uh, uh but since then i've had some really good seats since then <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it's a pretty special place. And I'm talking more about the old one, not the new one that came in in 2009, I, I guess it was. I was lucky enough to be there a lot during the heyday in the late 90s, you know, when they were winning four, four World Series in five years. Did you ever get a chance to go there during the, you know, the Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera years? Yes, I did. And I had some great uh, games that I saw. And one year I took my family, my wife, Wanda, and Scott and Kimberly, our children. And I'd ask if I could, because uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, was a, his daughter and granddaughter went to school here at North Carolina. And he was a, a good friend of Christian, did we lose him? Yeah, we lost him. Well, such are the perils of trying to do a podcast during a pandemic. The Wi-Fi dropped out, so we went to plan B and we called Roy Williams back on a landline to continue the interview. Okay, go ahead, Coach. Yeah, Mr. Steinbrenner was a good friend of Coach Smith's and had sort of adopted me as well. And uh, so they gave me seats in the Steinbrenner family box. And uh, so I wanted to see the monument, and I told them, and they said, yeah, we'll set it up. And uh, I'm looking at the outfield wall and the clock out there, and you may remember that, and it had the time, and it's 7, it's 7.05, and game time 7.30. And I said, you sure it's okay? And they said, yeah, somebody's going to come and get you and take you out there. And so they took me downstairs behind the third base visitors dugouts. I think they were playing the White Sox that night. And we go out there, and evidently they closed the park 15 minutes before actual first pitch. And so they ran everybody out. And it was just me and my family out there by ourselves. And needless to say, we took a few pictures. But that was a, <laughs> uh, that was a, a thrill for me. So I was in the old park and the new park and loved both of them. I went to the game one time in Yankee Stadium in Mr. Steinbrenner's box. They took me early. They took me down to the field, took me into the dugout. We're having a rain delay, but we got out to the field. And I reached over to just see what the grass felt like. And I didn't really do that. I reached over and pulled some grass and put it in my pocket. (laughs) That's great. Did you ever get a chance to meet Mickey Mantle? You know, this is the crazy one. I did. This is crazy. I've got a wild background. During my summertime, after my sophomore year in college and after my junior year in college, I worked as a ramp agent at the Asheville Airport for Piedmont Airlines. I loaded and unloaded the airplanes. And all of a sudden, I'm out there you know, telling the guy to wind number one engine, and I'm getting ready to send the plane out and just catch something out of the corner of my eye. And it was a girl from the ticket counter and gave me the sign to cut the engine. So I cut the number one engine or two. I forget which one we always started first. And I went over and she said, Mickey Mantle is out there and one of his bags didn't make it. One did, but one didn't. So I crawl up in the belly of the YS-11, I think it was, and I look over every bag and everything and can't find it. And so I send the plane out and go out there. And sure enough, he's standing there. And he had gotten in uh, Dallas, had gotten on a Piedmont flight, and one bag, uh, we eventually found it, but one bag made it with him and the other one didn't. And so at that time, the part-time summer help, they gave us extra money to deliver bags to people, bags that didn't make it or got on their own flight or whatever. And so I said, well, I'll get you the bag. And so for the next 24 hours, I chased it down pretty hard and <laughs> found the bag. So he leaves Dallas. One bag goes to Asheville, North Carolina, and the other bag goes to Las Vegas. <laughs> so, oh yeah, so we found it and uh, got it and got it back. And so he had given me his number. He was going to be up in Boone at Appalachian State University. And uh, so I called and I said, I'll bring it to you. And he said, no, if you don't mind, just keep it there. I'm coming back tonight to fly out. 
and I asked him what flight he was on, and he told me. And uh, so uh, he came back that night, and I was working, so I was able to give him his bag and apologize to him. And he said, you know, it was funny. He said, you know, if he got separated in Dallas, I don't know that you guys had much to do with it, but I appreciate it because uh, somebody at the counter had told him I'd worked pretty hard to try to find his bag for him. So uh, that was the only time that I got to meet him face-to-face at that time. And I sort of stumbled. I don't even remember what I said, but I'm sure I stumbled around a little bit. <laughs> Yankee crowd roaring now for some action. There's a high drive. It's a deep drive. And forget about it. It is done. The ball game's over. I don't know how often you tell that story, Coach, but that's an amazing story. That's so cool that you got a chance to meet your boyhood idol. Not many people can say that. Uh, and, you know, it's crazy because he was my favorite player, and that was my favorite number for such a long time. And then several years ago, they, friends of mine taught me how to shoot craps, and number seven is a bad number there. So it's my favorite number every place except uh, <laughs> uh, at the craps table. <laughs> <laughs> Let's circle back as we close to basketball. You know, as we talk, I think everybody's hoping there's going to be a season, but we don't know when it will start or how it will look. What, what do you think is going to happen, or what are your feelings about what should happen over the next couple of months? Well, you know, that's when you say, what are you thinking and what you feel should. Those are two dramatically different things. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to have a season, and and I think we should if we can do it and do it safely. The virus does scare me to death. There's no question about it. Uh, I'm not as young as I used to be, and the the younger people, 18 to 30, they think they're invincible, and they're not adhering to the protocols quite as much as I would like for them to, but... uh, you know, I think it is something that's very serious. We've never had anything like this in our country, and it's uh, uh, the number of people that we're losing in United States citizens over something like that is something that, that scares me to death. But I think that we will have a season, and I think we can do it pretty safely, but we'll know a lot more after these first two or three weeks of college football. And right. I think that football and basketball are the two sports That'll worry, well, wrestling, of course, you would worry about that too, but football and basketball, you have your hands on the other people and you're close and those kind of things. But uh, uh, we're hoping that we can have a season. I think we will. We're working extremely hard to have one. I think we're going to do some uh, things that will help us. I would not be surprised if we delay the season a little bit, but I don't know any inside information or anything like that. My hope is if we delay it a little bit, see what happens in football. I would love it if they would delay the Final Four in the NCAA tournament, for example. I wish they would push that back a month or so to give us some more time. But uh, I do believe we'll play, and as long as we can uh, use our brain quite a bit and try to keep people safe, I'm going to be ecstatic about it. That's it! 1924, 1957, 1982, 1993, 2005, 2009. Make room for 2017, well, Danny, I appreciate you. You're fantastic what you do, and I appreciate your friendship and uh, you and your family staying here. Everybody stay safe as well. I can't thank Coach Williams enough for coming on. He has been nothing but kind and helpful to me for the 25 years I've known him. 
And needless to say, the experience of calling games for great Carolina teams at the Dean Dome is something that I'll always remember, just like he remembers the first time he got to go to Yankee Stadium. I love that the little kid still exists in so many of us when we talk about that first sports idol we had. It's good for the soul. That'll do it for this episode of A Swing and a Belt, produced as always by Christian Ryan. I hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you again next time.